Well, good afternoon and welcome to Ask ACES. This is Jennifer Scheich and I'm here today to visit with you about beef cow nutrition strategies. As you know, feed cost is the number one determinant of profitability in cow-calf operations. Nutrition impacts reproductive success, longevity, and future calf performance. Today, we're going to chat about how beef cattle producers can best manage pastures and feed resources to ensure sustainable beef production. Joining me today are Travis Matier, University of Illinois Extension Beef Cattle Educator, and Dr. Dan Scheich, Associate Professor of Animal Sciences specializing in cow-calf nutrition and management. Thank you guys for joining us today. I really appreciate it. We had a great Twitter chat lots of good questions, and I'm excited to dig into some of the topics a little more with you. Before we get started, could you introduce yourselves and tell everyone a little bit about what you do here at the University of Illinois? Sure. Uh, my name is Travis Matier. I work for the University of Illinois as a beef extension specialist. I'm based at the Ore Beef Research Center in West Central Illinois, and uh, I'm tasked with consulting with producers across the state, um, mainly helping them decide and, and make profit-driven decisions in their cattle operation, also develop resources, hold face-to-face -face meetings, and try to, to provide those unbiased third-party uh, information to, to cattle producers across the state and take some of our research deliverables uh, to the producer level and make sure that it is conveyed in an application-based uh, discussion. And you're also a great blogger if you haven't read Travis's blog. Um, watch for that on Illinois Extension social media. He does a great job. Dan, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep, I'm Dan Scheich and I'm an associate professor here in the Department of Animal Sciences. And I specialize in uh, cow-calf nutrition and management. I have a research and a teaching appointment. And so uh, my research uh, is, is broad and, and I take a systems approach at uh, looking at how cow-calf nutrition and management not only impacts that cow, but also uh, the developing fetus and then following those calves on out to, through the finishing phase and ultimately uh, impact on final carcass quality. I teach classes in uh, beef cattle production, livestock evaluation, and in nutrition as well. Great. Well, thank you again for being here today, guys. Uh, to get things started, one of the big questions that came up on the chat and some things we talked about were uh, regarding grazing and continuous grazing. For producers that are currently continuously grazing, should they consider rotational grazing and why? Yeah, I think um, first off, yes, they should consider rotational grazing. Um, I think rotational grazing is a foundation to any profitable beef enterprise. Um, not only does it increase the yield of the pasture, but it also improves animal performance, improves animal health, and reduces the need to supplement or add additional costs in terms of feed costs to those animals. It also has some soil benefits as well as we think about the opportunity to trample forage certain times of the year and deposit manure on different parts of our pasture acreage uh, versus a continuous system. So I think, yes, rotational grazing is a great, great decision and something that I think should be a foundation piece to most, most uh, beef cattle operations. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the rotational grazing really helps address one of our, our key uh, points that we try to manage in our herd, and that's our feed costs. So uh, there's there's no doubt that uh, any purchased feed that or stored feed that you have to 
utilized, that's going to drive up your cost. So being able to either A, increase your carrying capacity by having a more efficient grazing system or being able to extend that grazing season on into the, the fall because you've better managed those resources. Both those are, are going to absolutely add to your bottom line. So could you share a little advice on seasonal rotational grazing for maximum forage regrowth? I guess I'll talk a little bit about that. I think one of the key components is, depending on the season, um, we need to maybe extend or, or shorten our rest periods. And so one of the key, key principles of rotational grazing is just allowing that forage to rest. And so when the grass is growing fast, we maybe don't, don't need a rest as long uh, versus when the grass starts to slow down, we may need a longer rest period. Also need to think about um, the opportunities to extend the grazing season. So depending on the season, we may we may avoid some paddocks and allow them to stockpile, go out to corn residue or, or some other seasonal uh, alternative forage or alternative grazing opportunity. Um, right now, talk about the things that, that we're, we're discussing on the Ask Aces chat. Um, summer annuals have, have been uh, on producers' minds to increase forage. And so those are some opportunities that seasonally we can utilize and better utilize through a rotational grazing system. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, also not only does season impact that uh, rest and rotation pattern, but also, you know, you need to know what forage species you're dealing with. Some of them need a longer rest time than others, but, you know, sometimes it's as short as 20 days, but often we need 30 to 45 days rest. And that's where having a really uh, well thought out and planned um, paddock system is comes into play you know and if you currently are continuous grazing it can seem a little daunting but we always suggest to kind of start small and, and think what a perfect plan would look like then take steps go in there so maybe initially you just have four paddocks but then uh, maybe later on you end up getting to six to eight paddocks where we can really start to maximize uh, the efficiency of that rotational grazing system and allow for extended periods of rest and regrowth. What are the best supplements to be given to grazing cattle to help them meet their nutritional needs until dry matter is at an optimal point? Yeah, I think, you know, the basis of, of any system for a cow-calf operation is obviously your forage. And so we need to first understand what that forage base is and whether that's pasture or whether that's hay. Um, you know, we use those terms kind of together, but obviously they vary uh, substantially. So before we even start to talk about a supplementation program, we need to first understand what is that base forage. And, and the only way to, to really understand that is to do some analysis. And so obviously we always encourage to, uh, you know, test your hay, get some forage samples from your pasture, pasture clipping, so you know, know what that base forage is. And the other key then is to understand and think about what class of cattle you have, because uh, obviously a, a growing, developing heifer is going to need to have a different requirement than a lactating cow, and that's going to be different than a dry gestating cow. And so, uh, you know, taking all that into consideration, then we can start to develop a good supplementation program because what we're trying to do with a supplement is uh, a supplement what is what is deficient to meet those cows needs so so we certainly have to start with understanding what the base forage is supplying sure and to, to kind of build upon that after we know what our forage is after we know what those cows or calves or animals are in the stage of their production what those requirements and targets we have we can then look at some least cost options for supplement. And so fortunately in Illinois, we have plenty of options. We're, we're blessed with the fact that 
Illinois is uh, really big in terms of grain production, and so we can think of those grains as opportunities for livestock feed and also co-products, whether it be from the ethanol side. Uh, we think about dry distillers grains immediately, but also co-products like corn gluten feed, soybean holes, and even some local type, what we may consider waste stream type products from those food industries. We can really utilize a lot of those different things and beef cattle diets. And I think that's an important point, not only for us to talk about with producers, but also the consumers as well as realize that these cattle are upcyclers. They are able to utilize forage that's produced on some land that may not be used to produce tillable crops or other food crops. And then, then we also utilize a lot of things that otherwise could be um, considered those waste stream products and cattle. And so really the goal would be to, to develop a least cost supplement to make sure that our cattle are still profitable and utilizing those things in a balanced ration to make sure we're achieving optimal performance. So I know rising land costs and pasture rent are definitely factors that producers have to consider. What are some options that you might suggest for heifer development and cow-calf operations today? Well, no doubt, especially here in, in Illinois, that is uh, something that, that is constantly on our, our beef cattle producers' minds, especially those that are wanting to expand, is, is there's just not a lot of options. There's not a, a ton of pasture out there to be purchased, and, and if you're buying land that's currently in production and, and contemplating putting that to pasture, that's obviously rather expensive. So uh, I think producers are looking for alternatives, and, and is probably the, the most logical place to start is with those developing heifers when you're trying to think of something other than grazing, but we have producers that are considering dry lotting or, or semi-confinement situations. And I think, uh, you know, depending on what the goals of the operation are and what the uh, alternative cost is for that pasture, there's some systems that we can we can make work. And so I think certainly something that, that we get questions about and something that we've uh, run some experiments on, currently have one underway as well here now. And as Travis mentioned, we do have good availability of co-products and, and other feedstuffs here in Illinois. So it makes it a little more competitive and I'll let Travis tell you a little bit about some of the things we're looking at there and, and other things he's seen out in, in practice. Sure and so I think the the conversation anytime I have a conversation with a producer about um, dry lot systems or some type of of indoor cow housing ultimately that producer is seeking more flexibility in their operation and potentially the opportunity to expand cattle numbers and so based on those priorities we know that uh, those cattle producers can utilize some local feed buys and some of the, the plentiful feed stuff that we do have at, that may be lower cost in comparison to other parts of the country. The other thing we deal with here in Illinois is, is some harsh weather. So we have all four seasons. Uh, we deal with some extreme cold, some extreme heat. And at times we, we deal with a lot of, of mud and wet weather and and things like that. And so actually there can be some benefits from that standpoint of improving the, the housing and maybe getting those cows out of some of those inclement weather scenarios and then kind of improving their, their environment. And so we've, we've seen some benefits from that certainly. And then I think from an economic standpoint, the fact that we do have so many options in terms of feedstuffs, I think it would be be wrong to leave out the fact that we do have an abundant supply of crop residues that can serve as a base 
forage in in those 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 rations where we are bringing those cattle inside. So we do have those options, and I think if, for, if it fits the producer's scenario and goals and it allows them to be more flexible and expand their operation, that's the reason that we need to be looking at, at these alternative housing methods for, for our cow herds. Any key points during gestation where cow nutrition impacts subsequent gain and grade more than others? You know, what, what advice do you have for producers regarding that? Yeah, I think this is a topic that's definitely gained popularity here in the last few years. Um, you know, historically, we've really thought about when we're feeding the cow that we're, our primary objective is to keep the cow in, in proper body condition so that uh, she will uh, become pregnant and have another calf. And, you know, we really try and manage the cow from a reproduction standpoint. But uh, there's more and more data coming out that suggests that uh, we should think about that we're not only feeding that cow, but we're also need to consider the developing fetus. And so there's the growing body of work there. And I would say that most of the, the work thus far is focused more in late gestation. And there's certainly been some scenarios where um, there's been data to show that if you supplement during late gestation, you can have an impact on that uh, developing fetus such that they're they end up and perform better in the feedlot and ultimately have more marbling and improved uh, quality grades at slaughter. And so, you know, I think it, the other thing that I like to point out though, is even though there's an opportunity there, we also need to, to understand, remember that the beef cow is pretty resilient. And so if we have cows that are in good body condition and they're healthy and they're kind of in their prime years, they can withstand a short-term deficiency, you know, a month or two. Uh, if they're a little bit below the requirement, we're not going to have dramatic impacts. However, if we do have cows that are kind of at the marginal body condition score, and then we are feeding them a diet that is deficient in protein, say, during all of gestation, especially during that final trimester, then we should expect there to, to be some consequences for that calf that's going to be coming out. I think just, just to quickly add to that, from the perspective of someone that, that may be on the feedlot side, I think that research really shows that there can be some some negative impacts of maybe some drought scenarios for purchasing calves uh, that may have been assigned cows out of a drought. Um, there may be a higher incidence of, of health issues in those cattle. There may be a lower gain potential in those cattle. And so the fetal programming research has not only uncovered some things that we can do to make sure that those cattle are, are performing at peak, but they've maybe also identified something that at times we, need, we may not calculate into those cattle when we purchase them in at quote unquote deal price or as those cattle are getting unloaded out of drought areas. And so in Illinois, where we do have those abundant feed resources, a lot of times um, producers may take advantage of, of relocating some cows. And I think that it's it's well worth mentioning that in scenarios where cows do have a longer insult, there may be some subsequent changes, not only that cow, but her progeny as well. What are some simple tips to promote quality while calves are nursing cows this summer? Well, I think, again, it's kind of in the same concept of, of the fetal programming. It's just a early calf development uh, and postnatal programming, some people refer to it, but really it's just thinking about how nutrition early in life not only impacts on them, but, but later on. And so and there's been a lot of work at the University of Illinois dating back to 
before Travis and I were uh, doing research and working with beef cattle here, looking at early calf nutrition. And some of that is uh, early weaning, but some of that's been creep feeding. And, and there's a, a substantial amount of work to show that if we can offer some supplemental feed, uh, grain-based, starch-based creep feed, uh, during the kind of that last, you know, 60, 90, 100 days that they're alongside the cow, we can we can have some impacts on carcass quality and on quality grades there at the end. And likewise, if we wean those calves early and get them right onto a feedlot diet, there's an opportunity for improved uh, carcass quality in particular, sometimes some improved performance as well. So I definitely think that there there's an opportunity there from a nutritional intervention standpoint to to improve those calves. And, and that's really probably only going to be capitalized on if we're talking about a retained ownership program. There, there could be some other scenarios where that might not make sense. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. And so for producers that sell calves at weaning, um, unless they're, unless they hold on to those calves, like Dan said, in a, in a retained ownership scenario, they may not reap that benefit. So it's important to have a conversation with the cow calf producer to make sure that some of these things that they they may implement to better the the quality and the the end point of these cattle are conveyed to that next step and so if we implement some of these strategies and the research has shown that there's certainly a benefit to doing that on quality grades we really need to have that conversation with whoever's buying those cattle and make sure that we're we're reaping the premiums from those management practices. What is the best way from your different perspectives to prepare calves for weaning and going into feedlots? I'll just start by saying I think uh, every cow-calf producer and as I travel the state in Illinois while we do have some variation in herd size you know, then uh, our normal cow-calf producer is somewhere just shy of 50 cows on their farm and so that producer's not going to send in, in most cases truckload lots to the feedlot and uh, but but what we would like to see those producers do, and what we've really seen a lot of a lot of our cow calf producers statewide adopt is preconditioning. Preconditioning is just a practice where those, those cow calf producers are keeping those calves after weaning for approximately 45 days. They're making sure that those calves are bunk broke, they're broke to water, they're acclimated to kind of a similar environment that they're going to see once they do reach the feed yard or that feedlot make sure that the herd health program is is taken seriously and that some vaccinations enter those calves hopefully before weaning but if nothing else through that preconditioning process and i think just like our our kids go to school we require them to have vaccinations and want to make sure that our the meals and programs at school are on point for nutrition we need to do the same thing for our calves as well as take care of them make sure that the nutrition is right um, offer some creep feeding potentially prior to that weaning period and boost their immunity with those vaccinations that we have available. I think that's really a true success story of the beef industry is the, the greater adoption of preconditioning and I think it's something that Illinois producers are embracing heavily. Yeah absolutely and I, I think that uh, it, the reason they're adopting it is it's it clearly adds to the bottom line. I mean these calves that are transitioned correctly they just perform better. And so there may be some added costs to implementing some of these programs, but the payoffs there, you, you get it back in the returns. The calves are healthier. They get started on feed quicker. They perform better all the way. It's, it's well documented that calves that, that get off to a bad start and aren't healthy 
and they're treated a lot and perform poorly during that first phase of the feedlot, they never catch back up and, and the bottom line just isn't there. So what do you guys foresee being the biggest issues facing feeding cattle sustainably in the future based on current and predicted trends? There's always a hurdle in front of you and so it doesn't matter if it's uh, doesn't matter what business you're in, you're going to face a challenge. And so there's there's a lot of challenges that face the beef industry, just like any other business and any other industry. But I will say that I feel like trade and the ability to expand uh, the the availability of the international markets to not only be able to to continue to sell domestically, but to those expanding markets in our international market, I think is a huge thing. And making sure that those those trade agreements are sound and allow our industry to grow and continue to prosper. You know, other things here specifically in Illinois, you know, environmental regulation and making sure that uh, we're aware of what uh, um, we're doing to our environment and our land. And I think there's no better steward of the land than a farmer. That's the pride of, of not only just their job, but that's their livelihood. And so I think it's something that uh, we maybe take for granted, those of us who work with farmers day in and day out, because we see the long uh, hard work that farmers do to make sure that their land is, is cared for and healthy, but sometimes that story doesn't reach the public and or it's spun a different way. And so with our livestock operations, we have to make sure that we're talking about rotational grazing and talking about all the things that we do to improve soil health and better the the um, the environment and, and our land as we continue to to go to grow and produce food. Yeah, I think a couple other issues that, that certainly are always uh, at the forefront here. Um, you know, there's price volatility in, in the agriculture world is is just something that seems to, to not go away. And, and that's price volatility on the cattle side and on the feed resource side. And so we've seen it just in the, in the last 10 years, there's been periods where feed costs were extremely high. And there's periods of time where feed costs were pretty reasonable. And there are periods of time where beef cattle were at record highs. And there's been periods of times where beef cattle were, uh, you know, a little more mediocre. And so sometimes those uh, align well and you have good cattle prices and reasonable feed prices and there's a great opportunity. But there's also those times where the feed prices are quite high and cattle prices are low and, and those times are tough. And so the volatility and the uncertainty and uh, waking up one day and, and cattle are limit down, that, that's, that's always a challenge. I think also, um, I mean, obviously we're in the industry to produce a product for our consumer and consumers have preferences and those preferences change and evolved through the years. And there's certainly a trend for consumers to, to have preferences on how we raise the livestock. And so, um, you know, we, we have a growing population. We have a lot of people that want to eat beef. And so there, luckily we do have a good demand, but also there's, there's certainly uh, consumers have preferences about the technologies we use and, and where we raise these cattle and how, how we care for them. And so trying to meet this uh, demand of the world population, but then do it in, in a sustainable, profitable way for the producers and, and keeping public perception and public preference in mind, I think is going to be a, a challenge as we move forward. Really good points, guys. You know, I just have one last question for you. I just want to take just a second. There's hopefully we have some prospective students or some current students that are listening in. 
um, as well. And you guys have really exciting careers and I know you love what you do each day. Um, any advice that you might have for current or prospective students who might be interested in doing what you do or um, pursuing opportunities in the beef industry? Sure, I, I, my advice just to uh, those, those students would be, don't be shy. Reach out to us, whether you're interested in a career like mine or, or interested in anything that uh, Dr. Shike and I come across, just feel free to reach out to us and make the connection. As I look back on, um, on my experience, I would say that the key thing that I was able to do is develop relationships with the, the folks that were able to, to provide really good sound advice to me and mentorship and kind of guide me through that path. And so there's so many roads that young people can take today. The sooner that they can find their interest and identify those key individuals within that field, and develop those relationships, I think it will expedite their success in that, that so chosen path. And so I would just tell them, reach out to the folks that, that you would like to, to talk to and know more about what they do. You know, I'd echo a lot of those same comments. Uh, you know, I, Travis and I, I guess, probably had some similar uh, backgrounds in that we, we grew up in agriculture. We grew up in the, the cattle industry and we you know, participated in 4-H and FFA and livestock judging, a lot of good activities that probably steered us in that direction. And I know we have a lot of youth in the state that participate in that. And we certainly want uh, those youth to, um, you know, want to come and, and be a part of what, what we're doing. But also, I, I would say that uh, we've also had a lot of students that have come from a very different pathways that have ended up uh, as part of our, our research and part of our undergraduate uh, internship programs and, and on to be graduate students and then on to have careers in the industry and you know students from suburbs that have no livestock background so it doesn't matter uh, who you are or, or what your background is uh, it, you don't have to come from a huge cattle operation to want to pursue a career path in, in the beef cattle industry and so take advantage of those opportunities like Travis said we we have a you know pretty neat program that Dr. Josh McCann, the other beef cattle nutritionist, and I recently got funded where um, we have interns at our three research stations this summer, and, and those are from uh, Southern Illinois, Western Illinois, Illinois State, and here at the University of Illinois. And so students that are just participating in research, getting to know the industry and interacting with other uh, professionals in, in the beef industry. So, you know, take advantage of opportunities like that if you have interest in undergraduate uh, education opportunities or grad school, reach out to us. We'd love to, to get you plugged in. Well, I just want to say thanks to both of you for joining me today on um, Ask ACES. I know you guys are busy and have a lot of things to do, but I appreciate your time and appreciate what you do to live out the land-grant mission through the way that you work together with research and outreach. Thanks to all of our guests for listening in. We look forward to chatting with you during our next chat in July. We're going to be talking about urban agricultural systems. Have a great day.